welcome to another episode of Thinking Like a Bank, where we show you how to think like a bank by applying the same strategies and principles that banks use to help you find more financial freedom in your life. I'm your host, Sarah Ibrahim. Today, I'm interviewing John Martinka. John is known for helping executives escape the corporate world by buying the right business the right way, creating large exits for small businesses so the owner can exit their business with style, grace, and more money and accelerating businesses so they can escape their plateau, often growth by acquisition, dramatically increasing the value of the company. His books are the roadmap to helping clients get the results they want with Martinka Consulting's guidance. John, welcome to our podcast. I am glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to interview you and get to know you. Uh, I want to know more about, I know we're going to talk about buying and selling businesses and, and, and more aspects of that, but before that, I want to know more about you and your background. No, okay. My background is pretty uh, eclectic. Uh, you know, the entrepreneur entrepreneur spirit hit in college, uh, and a friend of ours and I started painting houses through college and then grad school, and then even when I was working in uh, during a recession, and then I I actually got into the uh, entertainment business, the concert business. I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Went to Marquette University, and after that, uh, got involved with a startup in that area and transitioned to the prominent, most prominent concert promoter then uh, in that area. And, but there was no room for me. I mean, the, the owner of the company was only like five years older than me. And uh, my wife and I wanted to explore and we moved to Seattle and I did some sales things. And as a serendipity, which happens to a lot of us, is I was uh, back-to-back presidents with a friend of with another guy who became a friend, Ted. And one day after a rotary meeting, Ted, we got to know each other so well on all those board meetings. He, he said something like, I've always thought you could be good in this business. And then one thing led to another. And uh, I've been doing it for quite a while. And about six years ago, my daughter, Jessica, joined me and works with me. And then what's the name of your company currently right now? Well, we actually have two companies. Martinka Consulting works on... Uh, Succession plans and with business buyers and the Comus Advisory Services works with people selling their company. Uh, We set up that company so Jessica could have some equity. We're 50-50 on that. And she prefers to work with the on the sell side rather than the buy side or just the, you know, the more the esoteric succession transition stuff. And that means for the audience to know more on the sell side, that means you're mostly representing people who want to sell their business business owners than, who want to exit yes sell okay rather and usually than, sell to an outside party got and then the opposite of that would be helping someone find a business to buy that's right okay so i'm sure like one of the first things that comes to my mind is um what are how have interest rates changed right so interest rates have gone up in the last year and a half a lot of people when they buy businesses they use some sort of traditional some sort of way of financing either sba financing or traditional bank financing i'm sure that has had to have affected the business i think that would be a mild understatement (laughs) no it's big big understatement yeah it's it you know interest rates on sba loans have gone up in the last uh year and a half two years from around five five and a half to ten to eleven that's a big chunk yeah now our market is the Lower middle market, we don't work with the main street delis, dry cleaners, coffee shops, and we stay away from what the investment bankers do. So we're working with deals that are, you know, two, four, six, whatever million. 
uh, big transactions for most people, uh, not compared to Wall Street, mm-hmm. but they're they're it's a big chunk and of their of their net worth if they're buying going into it. And on the other side, a lot of times it's the main part of a retirement. So interest rates have had an effect. It's had an effect on on pricing uh, slowly. Uh, I'm seeing more seller financing than there was a couple years ago. If you're in that SBA loan range, which goes up to a $5 million loan, uh, it was pretty sweet when interest rates were five, five and a half. And yeah. sellers were getting a lot of money and payments could be are spread out over 10 years. And I'm seeing more buyers wanting uh, higher seller financing because it'll be a lower interest rate. We're working on a deal now on the south side where it's probably going to be 50% cash, 50% seller note uh, because it lets the seller get a little more money because there's not there's only there's not as much going to interest. Mm-hmm. And then so so seller financing that's in, in, a, in a basic way that's I want to buy a business from you, John. Um, you finance a portion of the of the business. So for example, to use an easier number, let's say, let's say it's a million dollar business. That that's how much you want to sell your business for million dollars. I come to you. I have five hundred thousand in cash. I give you the five hundred thousand dollars in cash. I buy your business, right? And then the other five hundred thousand, how is that like split up or broken down? Well, in that case, if you're talking seller financing, the seller would get a note over a certain amount of time at a certain interest rate with a personal guarantee. Um, uh, what's been a in this lower middle market where there's SBA loans, what's been very common over the last whole bunch of years has been buyer let's say it's a uh, let's use a little larger number let's say it's a four million dollar deal and the buyer comes in with five hundred thousand and the bank finances uh you know three million and the seller finances five hundred thousand uh that in that case the seller has a small note subordinated Mm -hmm. to the bank meaning they if the deal if the company runs into trouble the bank can have this seller's note uh, be put on hold. Okay. That's what subordination means, but the seller can get payments. Now, I just told you about that one deal. We've got one on the buyer's side where it's completely seller financing. Uh, the seller is looking at it and saying, I really like this buyer. I believe in him. And I'm going to get an interest rate higher than what I can get at the bank. And the buyer is saying, I'm going to pay four or five points less than I would pay to a bank. Got it. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so, so back to some of the old days where you, when the SBA limit was like a, maybe a million bucks and there wasn't much difference between a conventional loan and seller financing and an SBA loan. The, yeah. I, I, now that makes sense. And there's also tax advantages, right? For that, because if you are selling your business and you have all these gains that you're going to have to report, when you sell it as a seller financing and then you do like an installment sale, um, you are only recognizing uh, gains that are broken up as the new buyer is paying in. So in other words, it's not a lump sum of taxes you have to pay. The tax liability is broken down. I think that's another advantage, right, of seller financing from the seller's point of view is there are tax advantages with that. Yeah, mild. I would say mild tax advantages or without giving tax advice, yeah. most of the gain is generally capital gains right 
And so if interest, if kept, not interest rates, but if capital gains tax rates don't change, really what it does is it spreads out when they pay the tax. Um, of course, you take the risk that capital gains rates could go up, but I, I don't think they're going to go down. But uh, right now, they've been pretty consistent for a while. And you mentioned before we started recording, you mentioned that business owners sometimes use their, a lot of times actually, they use their business as their form of retirement. So how can a business owner transition from their business and into retirement? Well, that is the big question when people get to that point in life where they say, uh, you know, I want my next great adventure in life and it may not even be a business. So there's a lot of owners who, the big chunk of their net worth is in their business, whether that business is worth 1 million, 3 million, 10 million, whatever, it, it tends to be a big number. So they're concerned about getting that out. And uh, selling it is the way to get it up. Mm -hmm. And selling it to someone where you can get a good chunk of cash, which cash, you know, cash is king. Let's face it. Yeah. Uh, it, it either they talk to the sellers and they'd say, yeah, if I could get all cash, I would. They wouldn't pay attention to deferring tax over time or anything else because cash can't go bad. A note can go bad. Uh, mm -hmm. Most don't, but they can. So look, let's talk about, but let's, as we do that, let's talk about what makes a business have that value. First is profits, yeah, profitable business in this small business market, this lower middle market. Uh, most of them are valued based on the profit, the net income, the EBITDA, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the more profit, the higher the price, all other things being equal. But then it's what are your things that make a business more valuable? Well, no customer concentration, um, mm -hmm. the, an owner that can step away and the business you know, doesn't get hurt. You know, the owner who can say, I can go to New Zealand for a month and everything is fine is a lot more valuable than the business where the owner says, boy, if I take off a week, I'm worried about things crumbling. You know, being able to retain, attract and retain good employees uh, to show growth. And here's the big one. Good financial system. So you have accurate financial statements. You know, you deal in financial matters. You understand the, the importance of that. Right. But there's there's too many small businesses and dealing with one right now on a potential deal where the accounting is, I mean, I swear it's, out, you know, it's out of a system 100 years old. <laughs> they, they can't give much of anything. Uh, I don't know how they get their taxes done. Mm -hmm. uh, but good statements, ac good systems, accurate statements. Um, and... Don't blend the personal and business checkbooks. Too many owners write off a lot of personal expenses and then they, you know, then they wonder why someone is questioning everything they do. Right. And I'd, and I'd also add, you mentioned concentration, owner concentration. I would probably also add market or client customer uh, concentration. Oh, customer you're concentration. Yeah. If you're, if you're a business and you have another business as one client of yours, what if that client leaves? Then the business is essentially doesn't work. It's not, it's not worth anything. But if you have 500 clients, then the concentration risk has been mitigated, right? Because if 10% of clients leave or 5% of clients leave, you still have 500 or whatever the amount is, you know, 95% of the other clients left. But some, because some companies are like that, where they only have a few amount of clients yeah. that are what almost 100% of their annual revenue. 
So that's another another factor to consider. Right? Oh, it's a big red flag. Uh, banks really are, a lot of banks are really cautious about that. Buyers are. I'll give you a quick example. Um, we started working with a small small business here. I mean, a good, you know, nice business. I mean, a couple million dollars of profit, uh, but 60% customer concentration. And I told the owners that, a couple buyers told the owners that, and we put everything we're doing on hold and the um, it's the the wife who really runs that part of it said, I can fix that. And within three months, she's got it down to 30% and is going to keep diversifying her customer base uh, to to make it more valuable. And let's say to make it, to make even numbers, let's say a business generates a million dollars in annual gross revenue. And then yeah. of that, a hundred thousand in profit. So 10% profit or EBITDA. Uh, how much could that business be sold for in today's market? Well, I'd say if if they got a hundred thousand of profit, they're probably going to sell for a few hundred thousand. If they got a million dollars of profit, they're probably going to sell for four to five times that, or four to five million. And it depends on the industry, the assets. Uh, you know, are they growing or not growing? All those other factors. But I'll, I'll just give you a quick example. I did a study for an attorney a number of years ago. We have we have access to three databases of done deals. And I got fascinated with it and I started playing with it. And I came to the conclusion on these businesses that are in this size range. So deals, you know, up to maybe eight, 10 million. A good starting point is they're going to sell for 4X of profit after owner comp. And no matter how I manipulated the input at uh, it always was about 4X with a coefficient of variation of about 25%. And that means 25% of four is one, a range of three to five times profit after owner comp. And they all, they tend to fall in that range unless there's some big red flag or some big growth opportunity that gets them out of that. But they just don't happen any other way. It's not like uh, there's, Buyer fever on a when there's a housing housing shortage and there's no housing available and prices shoot up. It just doesn't happen because of two things in this market versus say the public private equity market. The sanity check number one: it's the buyer's money, and they're just not going to come up with a lot more money because they fell in love with the business. And the number two is the bank. The bank is going to make sure that they're within line. So number one, the bank can get paid back. Mm-hmm. And let's say someone's listening to this podcast now, they're thinking about exiting their business in the next, let's say, five years. Yeah. What are some things they can do now to help smooth out that exit and help, and most importantly, help increase their business value as much as possible? Well, the things I mentioned before are really my, my, the top of my list on, on what to do to get the business ready to sell. And that was the things we mentioned, get rid of customer concentration, but also other concentrations, uh, key employee dependency, a supplier dependency. Uh, I've had banks, I had a bank once investigate the supplier because they were so dominant to make sure they were in good shape. Uh, Get the owner out of the day-to-day. I mean, the less the owner does on a day-to-day basis and the more they do on concentrate on strategy and vision, the better. And then, of course, the financial systems, uh, the good employees, growth. Uh, don't just say you can grow, show you can grow. 
show show what you did to get growth to go from 3% to 10%. So a buyer can see, yeah, these things work. Mm -hmm. Like include your formulas, your recipe for what, what's happening that's creating this growth. You're right. Yeah. Don't just say here we grow show. Why? I mean, and on the buyer side, you know, I, I know someone who lost a deal recently and they weren't going to get it anyway because they were way underpriced. But the seller said they didn't ask good questions. You know, a good buyer will ask good questions of the business to show that they understand it. That's what a seller wants to sell to. Who the seller wants to sell to? They're worried about their legacy. They want to see that name up there in 10 years. My next question was going to be, if you're the buyer looking to buy, um, what are some things you could do to help your chances of actually buying the business? So I, you just mentioned one of them, like ask a lot of good questions, let the seller know that you're going to continue the legacy of the business, you're going to continue the name. What else should the buyer know to help increase their chances of, of, of buying a good business? Uh, going back before what you just said, it's look at as many businesses as you can. Don't be too fussy. Uh, the, the market is interesting. It, it is the most inefficient market you will ever find. It, it is completely the opposite of real estate. You know, you sell real estate, you put a sign up and say, come on in and look at me, I'm for sale. And in a business, the owner's scared to death of confidentiality, yeah. confidentiality being breached. So uh, scour the whole market. That, that means more than just looking online for what's being advertised, but, you know, doing a, uh, a, a search by two businesses that you're targeting by networking your butt off mm -hmm. to get the word out. You never know where where it's going to come from. Don't stop prospecting just because you found one you like, because you don't know what's going to happen. And be 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 willing to negotiate, be flexible. You know, it's frustrating on both sides. It gets really yeah. frustrating on both sides. And really the three keys to a deal are not the price and the terms and everything else, but it's motivation. The buyer better be really motivated and the seller has to be motivated. Relationship. In this market, nobody sells to somebody they don't like and nobody buys from somebody they don't like and trust. And uh, then educate yourself on what's involved because it is a frustrating process. And, and you mentioned you've written, you've written some books. You mind sharing the titles of the books and what the readers can learn about those books? Yeah, they, they're all available on Amazon. Uh, buying a business that makes you rich is aimed at the corporate exec who says enough of the corporate world i want my own company on the flip side if they can sell pet rocks why can't you sell your business for what you want uh is aimed at the business owner on doing the things we've just been talking about and 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 doing them right um for the company that says hey i want to grow faster than just organically at five percent a year i have a book called um Company growth by acquisition makes dollars and cents, with cents being S-E-N-S-E. -E. And then my last one is called Getting the Deal Done. It is 61 short essays on deal tips. I wrote 50 of them. I had 11 deal people each contribute one other one to get a different perspective. 
And uh, it's a it's an easy read because you can pick it up in the middle of a book and look at chapter 42 and read it in two or three minutes. And you don't need to go from, you know, front to back and get that one deal tip or two deal tips. Got it. And, and John, how can the listeners connect with you and learn more about you? Uh, the best way is uh, Martinka Consulting, M-A-R-T-I-N-K-A Consulting.com. Phone number is 425-533-4577. I'll be sure to add in the link you just mentioned and your phone number in the show notes below. And I'm looking forward to having you back on the podcast in the future. All right. I would, I would love it. Thanks, John. To learn more about what we do and how we can help you grow more wealth, please visit www.finassetprotection.com. That's F-I-N, assetprotection.com. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.